Oof, how are you now? Huh. How are you now? Yeah. We knew that was going to happen, didn't we? Right, folks? Your Montreal Canadiens lose by a score of 6-2 to two to the Carolina Hurricanes. Hello and welcome to episode, uh, what is it? Episode 55 of the Bottom 6 Minutes podcast. I am Matt Drake, and yeah, that was expected. <laughs> it was never going to be a, you know, sparkling good game like the last couple of ones. We knew, um, and Team Tank is probably rejoicing right now. Tank Nation, I told you in the last episode, didn't I? The games were going to get tougher. They got a pretty rough stretch of three games uh, here, including which, which started with that one. They got the Leafs on Saturday. I forget who they got after that, but I, I know if I go double check, it's going to be somebody that they're not supposed to beat anyways. Um, now, the Leafs they might be able to beat, but Carolina, yeah, that was always going to be a tall tale, or a tall task, rather, not a tall tale. Um, and let's just get into the recap. Let's get this over with so I can talk about some of the performances therein. Um, it, it, it looked like it was going to be pretty ugly right off the initial drop of the puck. Uh, now, Carolina, for the first couple of minutes, are getting the better chances. They're definitely, they look like they're getting more pucks towards the net anyways. But the shots are about even for the first five minutes or so. Two to two, I think it was. And then a couple minutes in... Rem Pitlick sends Michael Pizzetta in on a breakaway. He gets stopped on the first shot by Antti Ranta, but the rebound's up in the air, picks it clean out of the air, and bats it in. It's one nothing for the Montreal Canadiens. Holy shit. But it comes crumbling down very fast. Again, the Hurricanes looking like the better team. Definitely uh, out-possessing the Habs by a pretty wide margin. And yeah, it comes crumbling down quite fast for the Habs. Um, later, they get a two-on-one. It's kind of a two-on-one for the Canes anyways. Chris Weidman just doing absolutely nothing on defense. He's kind of just hanging out, uh, playing off the back post. Doesn't even move towards the middle and offer any kind of a challenge to Jesperi Kakanyemi, who instead of needing to pass, he just gets a free drive directly to the net. He goes to the forehand, puts it in, and it's 1-1. Few minutes later, Seth Jarvis gets left completely alone out in front. Sebastian Ajo gets the puck in the corner, has a moment, kind of takes a look and sees him there and goes, you know what, I think I'm going to throw it out front. And uh, it was a good idea. He puts it tape to tape and Jarvis puts it in to make it two to one. That's your score at the end of 20. Five minutes into the second period, the shots are 20 to 10 for Carolina. It's going swimmingly for uh, Tank Nation at this point, looking like for sure this is going to be an ugly one for the Habs. And the Habs are basically in counterattack mode, right? They know they're going to get outshot. I actually kind of respect the strategy by Martin Saint-Louis to uh, to kind of get them to just bend but not break and, you know, kind of absorb the attack as much as possible. And then when you get opportunities, go up ice with pace. And that's really what the Habs are doing there. It's, It's working to an extent, but it's just difficult for them to really generate anything but then Andrei Svechnikov takes a cross-checking penalty uh, kind of threw Justin Barron into the boards more on that at the tail end and the power play actually clicks for the Montreal Canadiens Mike Hoffman gets the puck below the goal line throws it up out front uh, kind of off to the left of the slot to Raphael Harvey Pinard and he shoots it far side perfectly placed two to two is this for real your score at the end of 40 minutes, despite the Habs getting roundly dominated by the Hurricanes, it's tied. Is this for real? No. I already gave you the score at the top of the podcast. You know the third period did not go well whatsoever. Uh, pretty early in the third. 
Point shot gets initially stopped by Samuel Montabo. The rebound's loose, and it's eventually found by Sebastian Ajo at the side of the net. He puts it in, and it's 3-2. A few minutes after that, Brent Burns just dances down from the point, goes around Armia, Kovacevic, and Weidman, and uh, puts it on net, and Seth Jarvis gets an easy one at the side of the net, makes it 4-2. to two. And then Jordan Martinook coming in on the right-hand side, just throws it into the middle. Nobody's defending Jordan Stahl on the other side. He puts that one in with a one-timer. It's 5-2. to two. After that goal, Martin Saint-Louis was reaming the Habs out at the bench. Really not impressed. He was telling them, do your fucking jobs. Uh, which a lot of them weren't doing their jobs in that particular game. But what are you going to do? Uh, then they get one more just to add insult to injury. Seth Jarvis. Uh, Habs get a power play late in the game. I gotta say that first. So this was shorthanded, by the way. Seth Jarvis gets a breakaway, uh, goes backhand upstairs, makes it six to two, finishes off his hat trick, which was actually his first career hat trick. Good night. I don't mean good night in the sense of it was a good night. I mean good night in the sense of go to bed. Um, <laughs> there's nothing left to really pick away at in that game. Uh, that was ugly for the Montreal Canadiens. It did not go well. Um, there's a reason uh, Martin Saint-Louis was reaming them out on the bench. Again, I respected his strategy. To a point, it was working. And if they had kind of stuck to it defensively at least, they might have had this game close. I don't think they would have won. But they could have had it close at the very least. Like, it wouldn't have been 6-2. to two. I thought, you know, when the 3-2 to two goal went in, I'm like, all right, well, if they settle into this, maybe they give up an empty netter and it's 4-2. to two. Uh, But I guess that was wishful thinking on my part. Um, again, I liked his strategy, but they didn't execute it. Um, in the third period whatsoever they executed it in the first two periods they didn't give up too many high danger chances against Montembeau Montembeau was not really standing on his head they were just getting a lot of rubber on them and then that changed uh the the high danger chances they came for the Hurricanes in the third period and uh that's what gives you a blowout loss team tank I'm sure you guys are happy um honestly myself I, I saw them losing this game anyway so I'm not upset about it not pissed off, uh, but I would have liked a little bit of better defensive effort from fucking people like Chris Weidman, for instance. Uh, you're playing for your next contract, man. Uh, you want to stick in the NHL. You might want to put forth a little bit better effort than that. I don't know. That's just me. Let's get to your silver lining of the night. And your silver lining of the night, I couldn't possibly pick anybody else. It's got to be Rafael Harvey Pinar. Um, what a story this guy is. You know, seventh round pick. Doing very well for the Habs in the AHL deserved every minute that he's gotten so far in his call-up. And with the way that he's playing, like I made a comment in the EOTP Slack chat uh, during the third period. I was like, man, this guy has no tank in his DNA. He's giving you game seven playoff effort every single night. And that's probably part and parcel because he needs to in order to keep his spot because he's trying to win a spot for next year right now. But if he keeps that mentality going, once he's actually earned that spot and he's a regular NHL player, I think sky's the limit for him. And when I say sky's the limit, I should cl- I should classify that as, you know, in terms of what he can contribute as a bottom sixer. I really don't think the top six is a home for him in the future. I think he's probably a guy who plays on your third or your fourth line. I think he'd make a great third liner, but that's just me. It's all going to depend uh, how the chips fall when some other players graduate and um, if they sign anybody in free agency and... You know, it's entirely possible that he ends up playing on the fourth line, but he is a luxury to have in your bottom six no matter where you put him because he has that capability when injuries arise to play up in your lineup. So he's your silver lining of the night, scored another goal. Uh, He's got seven goals in 10 games now. What a story. What a story. At least this season, 
with any of the ugly losses that we've had to sit through, we can have these good stories to, to fall back on to, to be like, well, you know what? The season wasn't a complete write-off. And who knows? If they lose enough games, if they trade away some of the veterans, cut some of that dead weight, start to lose more, they may still have a shot at Connor Bedard. So short-term pain for long-term gain, right? How else can you cut it? Who else played well? Um, there, there weren't a lot of great performances. I'll be completely honest with you guys. I did enjoy Jordan Harris's performance once again. Uh, he was playing very well. Uh, he had a very, very golden chance what in the third period uh, before things really went to shit. And he just got absolutely robbed by anti-Ranta and Nat. Ranta, I should mention, you know, on that note, was actually quite good for the Canes um, when he had to be. But Harris, uh, he was creating out there. You know, he was, I would say he was their best defenseman on the night. Second to maybe Justin Barron, but the thing about Justin Barron is he didn't get to play all that much. So that hit from Svechnikov, right? Basically, he pushes him in the back and uh, throws him down and into the boards. He got called for cross-checking. I think you could have called it boarding if you really wanted to, but uh, boarding might have been a stretch. It's a fair penalty. The Hurricanes and their fans were up in arms about it. Like, eh, don't fill your diapers over a very clear penalty. That's a penalty. And then Barron had to actually leave the game. He did come back to the game, but then he had another fall in the third period and left again. So he might be out for a while. Um, and the reason I bring this up is because this is going to cause some issues for Kent Hughes. He's going to have some decisions to make. So now you got Jack Eyes out, uh, Barron's out. Who, who are you going to call up at this point? Who, who, who are you going to bring? I mean, Chris Weidman looks brutal out there. That was a horrible game for Chris Weidman. You got to figure something out so you're at least not getting absolutely destroyed every night because that's not going to be good for morale. That's not going to be good for player development. It's not going to be good for anybody. Losing's fine. Losing 6, 8, 10 to 2 every night is a completely different story, right? They're going to have to figure something out there. Justin Barron was looking fantastic in this game. Again, um, I think I talked about him in the last game. I had underrated this guy a little bit. I ranked him at number 20 in our top 25 under 25 last summer. And I'm already, like, so far this season, I'm feeling like I regret that ranking a little bit. Like, I'm, he might be feeding me my own words. And... I've been enjoying it, and it's going to suck if he has to miss some time because really lately he's been coming up, and uh, it's it's been great to watch. This is exactly what the team needs is to figure out who can play, who can't play, who are we going to trade, who are we not going to trade. He's a guy that after the last few games I've been saying I don't want to see them move him at all. Right? Maybe he can still develop into the player that you need him to be in order to hypothetically win that Arturi Lekkonen trade. I don't know. But now going to be out for a bit maybe. We don't know. I, I shouldn't really say he's going to be out for a bit because we we don't know, right? The Habs are pretty tight-lipped about their injuries as well, so I don't think we're even going to get like a proper update tomorrow or anything. What we're probably going to get is he's got a upper or lower body injury and he's going to be out indefinitely or he's day-to-day. They're going to give us something like that and then he'll be reevaluated. But, you know, there's been other players that they've said we're going to give you an update, like Sean Monaghan, for instance, and then they just never tell us what's going on. So the Habs are notoriously notoriously tight-lipped about this shit and uh, I would expect that they're probably going to do the exact same fucking thing with Justin Barron they're not going to tell us anything we're going to be left guessing for a little while and who knows maybe he suits up on Saturday in Toronto and uh, everything I've just said you can throw it in the garbage (laughs) but uh, yeah it doesn't look good Uh, he looked uh, he looked like he was in some pain on his way off in the third period there outside of those guys I mean 
Jesse Alonen looked pretty good in that game. I enjoyed um, his play quite a bit. Nick Suzuki looked pretty good. He actually went over and uh, almost got in a fight with Svechnikov at one point because he was running around trying to land some hits at the end of the game when it was already 6-2. to two. I'm not sure why he was doing that, but Nick Suzuki looked like he was about to fight him. Um, I also enjoyed Samuel Montambo. I thought he played very well again. I, I know it sounds weird to say that a goalie played well in a game where they lost 6-2, to two, but you know, rewatch that game if you haven't already. If, if the first that you're hearing it is from me uh, on this podcast, you know, go take a look at the highlights and tell me, you know, what goaltender is making a bunch of saves there. He would have had to stop at least four of those goals for it to go to overtime. And I, I don't think I could pick four goals where I'd say, yep, those are the ones that definitely you should have stopped. If he did stop four of those goals, then, you know, Team Tank would have their opportunity to say, well, fuck this. They don't deserve to win that game. What are they doing in overtime, getting a loser point or even getting two points when Samuel Montambo had to play a ridiculous game in order to get them there? And I don't know. I felt like he played well. He played as as well as you could expect a goaltender to play when they're facing uh, those kind of chances that he was facing in the third period. I mean... Brent Burns coming down from the point and just skating around everybody like a hot knife through butter. Uh, it was impossible for him to really do much other than kind of be a passenger and hope the puck hits him sometimes. Uh, man, it's a rough one. But I think, you know, I've accepted that there's going to be some rough ones this season, so it doesn't piss me off that much. Um, it it would piss me off if, like, say they dominated that third period somehow. <laughs> I'm laughing saying it. Say they dominated the third period. It might piss me off that they ended up losing because I'd, I'd go, you know, well, come on. They came together in the final frame. You, you want to see them be rewarded for that at the very least, but that's not what happened here. So, it, you know, the, the effort level bothers me a little bit. Uh, losing definitely doesn't. Uh, I'm kind of torn, you know. I know the, the fan base is kind of separated into two factions at this point. You've got Team Tank or Tank Nation, whatever you want to call them. And they want us to lose all the games possible uh, because they see it as either we get Connor Bedard or this year is a complete fucking failure. The other side, they like seeing the team win. They want to see them win. Um, they think winning is better for developing that culture in the locker room. And they think that the team deserves to win those games. Um, so they, they, they want to see them win. They don't want to see them lose. And I understand both sides, honestly. I would do backflips in my backyard if the Montreal Canadiens got the first overall pick and could get Connor Bedard, of course I want him. On the on the flip side, I I I hate watching them lose, but I hate watching them lose games they deserve to win more than I hate watching them lose. You know what I mean? So the only time I want them to win from here on out for the rest of the year is when they really deserve it. They didn't deserve it on Thursday night. Not whatsoever. The effort level wasn't there. They were playing a much better team. They got outshot, outpossessed, outchanced, everything. So I have no problem with them losing that one. The only time I want to see them win from now until the end of the season is when they really deserve it. Right? The last couple of games before this one are good examples of games they deserve to win. Um, and I think, and this is a little olive branch to Team Tank if you don't like what I'm saying right now, I think they're going to deserve to lose more games than they're going to deserve to win, particularly once they start trading out some players. There are a number of veterans that are potentially on the way out. They're going to have to call up more people from Laval. I think by 
by the other side of the trade deadline, we might be looking at a, a roster that's almost entirely Laval Rocket players. And that's a good thing. Number one, from an evaluation standpoint, talked about this before, trying to figure out who can play, who can't play, who are you going to keep, who could be in your lineup next season. And number two, from that tank standpoint, right? Having a bunch of inexperienced players is inevitably going to create more losses than wins during that final stretch. Now, if they don't end up with the top pick and they can't get Connor Bedard, I do also want to caution everybody in Tank Nation that there are some other great names available in that top five, top seven area of the draft. Zach Benson is a guy that I've had my eye on from the beginning of the season. And I'm I'm telling you right now, if they get the fifth overall pick and Zach Benson's sitting there, I would take that pick and I would laugh all the way to the bank. That kid is going to be fantastic in the NHL. I'm beyond positive of it. I've been wrong before, but you know, if you don't want to take it from me, take it from any of the other scouts that you can find on Twitter that are showing you some of his performances. Oh man, he looks like he's going to be very good. The whole top five, really the top 10 has a lot of intriguing names, but the whole top five have the ability to potentially become game breakers for whatever team ends up drafting them. So it's not the end of the world if they can't get Bedard. Yes, that's the ultimate prize. That's what you want. But Fantilli, um, Matvey Michkov, Zach Benson, Andrew Crystal. There are some guys up there at that top top of the order in that draft that are going to be fantastic players in the NHL, and the Habs are going to get one of them, most likely. So good news all around. We just got to go through a little bit more pain before we can actually experience that good news. So I'm going to cut it off there. Uh, we're running, what, a little over 18 minutes. So c'est une grosse soirée pour les employés de soutien. Uh, we're on Spotify. We're on Google Play. We're on Apple. I'm on Twitter at DrakeMT. Drop me a follow. I would appreciate it very much. You can also follow me at Substack, mattdrake.substack.com. I do be posting some work there. I do be posting. What am I talking about? I post some work there from time to time, and um, I will continue to. And uh, we are going to have an update on the future of Eyes and the Prize pretty soon as well, so stay tuned for that. Thank you, as always, for listening. And, of course, à la prochaine.